Hi, True Crime Family. I'm Kay Mack. And I'm The Answer. And this is Bad Human. Hello, True Crime friends. Apologies that we are a day late. And our friend Mel had no issue reminding me today that uh, we were late. He says every morning he wakes up and checks to see if there's a new case. And he was so disappointed to see that there wasn't. So sorry for shitting on your day, Mel. Man, just had to reach out, didn't you? You know what, Mel? Maybe if you left us a positive review and participated in our Instagram contest, mm-hmm. I would prioritize your happiness. <laughs> Probably. I'm just kidding. I love no. Mel. He was in our wedding. <laughs> just giving you shit. However, there is a contest going on right now on our Instagram page. If you go to Bad Human Pod on Instagram, you have a chance to win a Bad Human gift bag that has Bad Human swag. It's going to be fucking amazing. All you have to do is register. The link is right in our bio. And then post, like the post, tag three friends. It is that simple. Wow, that sounds so easy. Before we start, I want to first pay our respects to everybody impacted by the Club Q shooting. We try to minimize our political affiliations, but there are some things that have to be acknowledged. And we want to send out our love and support to the LGBTQIA plus community. And we at Bad Human absolutely condemn any sort of hate crime and that type of behavior senseless act by a horrible person absolutely with that being said we do um have a a review that was very kind that came in a reminder if you do go on apple podcasts and leave a review and we read it then you will win your own bad human hoodie we are very behind in the hoodies i totally get it we have some supply chain fucking supply chain we have not forgotten about you people out there and even our friend in ireland i promise we have not forgotten the review says, subject line, KMAC and the answer give new life to true crime. The name is just a shitload of nines all the way across. So if that's you, send us a message on <laughs> our Instagram page. As a true crime podcast junkie, recognizing that it's hard to recreate the wheel when the, re- the reporting, when, excuse me, let's start over. It's been a day. As a true crime podcast junkie, recognizing that it's hard to recreate the wheel when reporting out on some pretty heinous crimes, these two breathe life into the fresh takes on the stories they share with humor, candid banter, and a seriously deep dive into their research. To present the most straightforward storytelling, each episode is an easy listen on some pretty difficult topics. Always look forward to their new perspectives for each new episode and their fierce protection of the victims and the victims' families they report on. Bravo to you too. Wow, thank you for giving me any credit for any of the Because you don't do shit. That is so true. You, well, you're the one that presents me with the case. I mean, eventually maybe we'll find one that I know something about, but I do enjoy it. You will, actually. We have one coming up, the Chris Benoit case, Mm, which you will know a lot about that one. (sighs) The Canadian Crippler. So thank you to just 27 nines across the screen only Send 27? us a message on Bad Human Pod. Let's connect and get you your merch. You will love it. It's like giving you a hug all the time. You know whose review we're not going to read today is Mel's because he hasn't left one. Yeah, he didn't leave one. <laughs> but he needs his his episodes. Yeah, well. I'm going to get a nasty gotta, text after this. <laughs> he's got to earn it. He's got to earn it. 
The case that we have for you today was voted on on our Instagram page. This one is, and also our lawyer friend, shout out to our lawyer friend in, in uh, New England, okay. had suggested this too. This case is by far the most absurd case I have ever, ever looked into. Okay. This the is new ground now. Interrogation videos, the behavior, all of it is, if you haven't, if you do drink, if you don't, then totally fine. I respect that. If you do, you might want to grab yourself something strong. On June 9th, 2008, a young woman named Mimi Hall became concerned that she had not heard from her friend, Travis Alexander, in over five days. They were supposed to go together to Cancun, Mexico the next day on a trip that Travis had won through his work at a company called Prepaid Legal. After calling her friend and her friend's boyfriend to meet her at Travis's house, they knocked and looked inside the windows. A little dog barked, but no one came to the door. She was finally able to obtain the security code for the garage door and quickly noticed that her missing friend's car and bike were both still there. Hmm. When they opened the door into the laundry room, they were hit with a smell of death, though at the time, none of them knew it. They just knew something smelled way off. I imagine like when I walked into your house the first time we started dating. Whatever. That just turned out to be dirty boxers and pizza. Mm, Yep. (laughs) The pizza is what got you in the door. (laughs) The boxers almost got me out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I like to go right down the line. They crept through the house and up the stairs toward the bedrooms and heard music coming from one of the rooms. They knocked on the door and the roommate opened it. They said they were there looking for their friend who'd been missing. The roommate had a key to his friend's room, so they went to the bedroom and unlocked the door. Oh, boy. Inside the room was a horror show. Blood had soaked the carpet where the bedroom opened onto a hallway toward the master bathroom. The floors and walls and sink were spattered with blood, and the victim lay curled on the floor of the shower stall, his throat slit, a bullet in his head, and nearly 30 stab wounds in his torso, head, back, hands, and feet. They will later say that he had been there for five days already, and his body was streaked with black and blue and green decomposition marks. However... It would be the memory card from a camera that the killer had tried to wash in the washing machine that forensics would eventually pull some very damning photos from. Like, first of all, wow, they're able to still get it out of there? How fucking dumb are you? Take the memory card. That would be the one thing. Take the camera. You, like why would you, I don't know. Well, I thought that was her. Well, that was their reasoning was putting in the washer, thinking that would. You know, destroy it, the memory card. So I know our family motto is no, no risk, risk it, it, no, no biscuit, biscuit, but that's not a time to risk it. Take the camera or at least take the fucking memory card. Okay. Anyhow, it did not take long for the police to have a primary suspect. Not only were friends quick to share who they thought executed this horrible act, the killer themselves would reach out to police in an attempt to insert themselves directly into the investigation. <laughs> what? Today is the case of Jody Arias and the death of Travis Alexander. This is, <laughs> I, I had a really hard time like writing this because there's so much ridiculous information. It was really hard to wrap your head around. All I'm going to say is like delusional party of one, your table is ready. This woman is a pathological liar 
and off the charts. Well, she inserted herself into the yeah. case like, hey, hey, why am I not a suspect? No, that's not something you would say. Before we get into the crimes, let's first get to know a little bit about Jody and Travis's background. They both had very different upbringings. Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28, 1977 in Riverside, California, to Gary and Pamela. He was one of eight children. According to the book, Our Friend Travis, the Travis Alexander story, and this just corroborated other information and um, specials I'd watched. He was born into a drug addicted family. His parents both suffered from drug addiction and had a really shitty childhood. His family was poor. His parents were neglectful and abusive. Many times they didn't even have food. They had no money. The parents would just leave them and go on drug benders. He was teased and bullied a lot as a small child and had very few friends. He ran away at the age of 10 and went to live with his grandmother, who was a devout Mormon. And here he became very active in the church and really started to thrive in this environment. Okay. He had found a place where he was accepted. He had a support group. He made friends. His life did a complete 180. He, um, admirably so, did not let his dark childhood stop him from accomplishing great things. He used his negative experiences to propel him into life and became very successful. Hmm. He quickly took to the Mormon faith. And when he was old enough, he signed up for a two-year mission going out into the public, trying to spread the word and convert people to Mormonism. Hmm. The people that knock on your door. Yep. No hate towards the Latter-day Saints, but I will admit that when I did see people approaching, I would just hide behind the couch and wait. But we all have our mission in life. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need some Mormonism in my life. I don't know. Like many single 30-year-old men, he was dating... In hopes of finding Mrs. Wright so he could get married, start a family, live the good life. The Mormon faith is very strict, as I know from watching uh, Salt Lake City Housewives. No. Just kidding. You actually have started getting into that one a little I bit. I just watch it because you're watching it. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, who's this bitch? They call, oh. each, they call each other that. Oh, that's a fair point. <laughs> I stand Thank corrected. you. Thank you. Very often do I... I'm going to actually leave that. I'm not going to edit yeah, it out because you deserve a win every once in a while. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to let you have that. As I said, he was really focused on trying to like walk the straight and narrow of the Mormon life. Unfortunately, he would meet Jody Arios. Oh, he joined prepaid legal and quickly became a rising star due to his natural salesman talents and ability to be a strong motivational speaker. Oh, okay. In 2004, he moved to Mesa, Arizona, where he had purchased a beautiful five-bedroom house, had the BMW. He was living the good life. Wow. Prepaid legal is where it's at. Wow. Actually, it's not where it's at because... Well, we'll get there. A lot of shit goes down at these conferences that we'll get to. One of the things he was really struggling with, though, was balancing the requirements of the LDS church and living this party bachelor lifestyle. He was making great money, good-looking guy. He was living a dual life, one that was the strong Mormon persona, one that was more of the party lifestyle. And he had, amongst other things, broken the church's law of chastity. Ooh. Jody, on the other hand, had the opposite upbringing of Travis. Jody and Arius hatched on July 9th. <laughs> 
She rose from the ashes on July 9th, 1980 in Salinas, California, born to William and Sandra. She was described as quiet and a good student. People commented, though, she was one of those people who always had to have a boyfriend. Oh, okay. Needed continuous affirmation from men. She was attractive, used her sexuality to get what she wanted. After 11th grade, she dropped out of school to follow her dreams of photography, but that failed. She also wanted to be an actress. Well, okay. Well, here when you said like she was beautiful and used her looks, I thought maybe mm-hmm. she wanted to be a model was one of her goals. Actress. But kind actress of, is but close enough, yeah. That takes talent. They're past more than an everyday job. Well, we know, because you tried that one. So you went to the John Calabasas school. Casablancas. We will post his headshot actually from that. I'm glad I saw that after we got married. I've got several headshots. Things could have gone very different at the altar that day. Headshot is a their paths would finally cross in September of 2006. Jody decided to attend a convention for pre, pre I prepaid. I'm gonna call it PPL because that's what they call it. And trying to say that shit for the rest of this episode, I'm gonna we'll keep botching it. Jody decided to attend a convention for PPL in Las Vegas. At the time, she was living with her older boyfriend in Southern California but would later claim that it was an unhealthy relationship and she was looking for a way out to support herself. She had dropped out of high school and tried to take up photography, but again, like I said earlier, that wasn't paying the bills. The first night of the conference, there's always a banquet and each PPL attendee gets two tickets. I don't know exactly how this happened, but two tickets. somehow Travis's friend, Travis's friends, Raina Jody, they were talking to her and they're like, oh, she's a cutie, Travis, you should take her because he had one ticket left. So he ended up taking her to the banquet. Um, oh, my God. Did Char fart again? Do you smell I it? I don't smell it. Ugh. Our dog is like 12, and we call her Grammy, and she has gas like a grandpa. Wait, wait. Who's this we? You <laughs> call, call her, her Grammy. Um, okay, so they went to the banquet together. They basically spent the whole conference together flirting. They exchanged numbers and emails after they left. Upon arriving back home after the conference, I know emails, right? I know, because you're you know, 2006. No, oh, six, six, 2006. Sorry, six. So it's, yeah, I was just laughing, like phone numbers and email. Yeah. Whereas now I was like, give me your Instagram. Your Facebook, AOL chat your, name. Yeah, Yahoo Messenger. Follow me on Insta, like that guy on Below Deck. What's your MySpace Follow yourself, page? then follow me. Oh, what a great guy. Kyle. After she went back from the conference, even before they, they would start dating eventually, she broke up with her boyfriend. So there's already... No, granted, she apparently claimed later she was going to do that anyways. Her and Travis would continue to text and talk on the phone. The two spoke on the phone and emailed each other over 80,000 times in five months. Ooh, that had to be a hell of a phone bill if he didn't have unlimited texting. Right. It was 10 cents a piece back then. So September was the um, prepaid legal PPL convention. You got it right. November 2006, so just two months later... Jody decides to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was a big difference for them because Travis, again, was a devout Mormon, and he was not able to overlook a potential partner, them not being a part of their religion. They're not dating yet, but Jody decides that she wants to get baptized, and Travis is her sponsor. Mm, even better. Like I said, over the next five months, between September to February, they were in like constant communication. Finally, in February 2007... They make their relationship official. 
Facebook official? Keep in mind that Jody lives in SoCal and Travis lives in Mesa, Arizona. Long distance. They go on vacations together, apparently have these magical conversations. This is all her point of view because he's dead yeah. because she killed him. Spoiler alert. They date until the end of June, June 29th, 2007. Jody and Travis break up, but continue to see each other for sexual encounters. Hmm. She says it was a mutual breakup. I don't really lean that way, especially after we get to more of the details, which she, I don't think, realized, and someone made this comment in an article I read, is that the more she's sleeping with him, the more she's essentially desecrating her potential as a, you know, a sacred and spiritual spouse. She's the girl that you party with, but you're not the girl that you take home to mom. Mm. He's looking for the girl to take home to mom. Well, not his real mom because looking for a lady in the sounds street. Like she was a bag of sheet, bag of sheet, <laughs> bag of shit. Man, eh, both. Yeah. Two weeks after they break up, she moves from Southern California to Mesa where he lives. So a long distance relationship, closer breakup. Correct. That is because that's normal. Very. When you break up with someone, you don't, move to be together when you're dating you wait until you break up and then you move a mile from his home seems logical if like we're not seeing like a blinking sign like a live nude sign but it says stalker <laughs> here it comes she waits tables and cleans travis's home for extra cash oh i want to be clear i am in no way victim shaming him i don't think he realized that he was leading on somebody who's so imbalanced mm -hmm. People did say he was really trying to help her out and felt bad. But, of course, her, who her brain isn't functioning correctly, is taking all this probably as, oh, he wants me around still. I'm cleaning the house and whatever else. This goes on, this off and on again relationship. They kept it pretty, you know, they thought under wraps. People knew they were still kind of hooking up, whatever. Until Word April, gets around in Mesa. Until April of 2008. So, oh, you know, not quite a year, a little less than a year. She decides to move back to... Eureka, California, which is where her grandparents live. She claims that this, her initial claim, there's so many claims to this, this story. She initially claims this is the last time that she saw Travis before her story changes like 30 times. Oh. She says she moved for three reasons. She was financially strapped. Her and Travis were trying to move on and the whole being around each other wasn't helping. Yeah. I think that went one way. Pretty much. And she wanted to be closer to her family, even though we will find out later that her family could not stand her. This will come to light later in the investigation, but just to stay chronological and timeline. In May of 2008, April, she moves back to Eureka to her grandparents' house. May 28th, her grandparents report a 25 caliber handgun being stolen from their home. This, again, would be uncovered by detectives later and the Mesa detectives, and they start to investigate the case, mm. but just, just trying to keep it chronological. Who could have done it? This brings us up to the tragic events of Travis's death. As stated earlier, Travis was set to attend the PPL event in Mexico with his friend Mimi. Jody at one point had been booked to go with Travis on the trip to Cancun, according to a source involved at prepaid legal, um, because it was sponsored by the company, so they were booking the tickets. In early 2008, he originally told the trip organizer his guest would be Arius. Then in April, he started dating another woman, which would be Mimi. He contacted the organizer and asked if it was too late to change the tickets. Because the tickets had not yet been purchased, he was able to change the name at the last minute to Marie Hall is her real name, but she went by Mimi, who was unfortunately one of the people that found his body, right, oh. which we talked about earlier. 
They had been scheduled to depart for Cancun the next day. In court, Jody has repeatedly denied she was jealous that he was taking other women to Cancun. She at one point stated she had believed that he was actually taking a friend's babysitter as repayment for a debt. Wow, that's then, a hell of a debt. Then she admits in an interrogation that she knew he was taking Mimi, and she was a great girl. I love Mimi. Did you? Mimi did mention that she was concerned because she and Travis had recently discussed their relationship. Travis had invited her to go to Cancun, hoping they would get to know each other better. He was interested in her romantically. Mimi was a member of the church. She was very well respected, definitely wifey material. Mm, lock it down. She had informed him about two weeks prior she only wanted to be friends and didn't want it to go any further and told him that she wouldn't mind if he decided to take someone else. He had also just recently broken up and had also recently broken up with another girlfriend uh, named Lisa. So she wasn't sure if he was really over the breakup. June 9th, police were called to 1428 East Queensboro Avenue in Mesa in reference to a death investigation. I've re already said some of this, but I'm going to go through now the police report so yep. it, it follows the flow. Get the full story. Mimi had gone over, like I said, to see Travis. He hadn't been responding. They knocked on the door. They got inside. They smelled the stank. They went up and found the roommate. The roommate let them into Travis's door. Police were immediately called, and when they entered, they were with paramedics. They found the deceased body lying in the master shower. Like I said earlier, it definitely appeared to have been there for a couple days. At least at that point, they had thought one or two. The medical examiner would rather say later that it had been five. Police then began speaking to everyone who's there. They first talked to the roommates, Zach Billings and Enrique Cortez. Both stated that the last time they had saw or spoken to Travis was four or five days prior. They said they knew Travis had a trip to Mexico scheduled and just assumed he'd already left. They said it wasn't unusual for Travis to leave town without telling them. Because at first when I heard that, I'm like, that's kind of weird. That if, like, you just yeah, didn't hear from me for like yeah. five days. Well, I knew like, she was going out of town, but that blood stain on the carpet. Well, you couldn't see that from the outside anyway. Oh. So they, they said it was he would travel a lot and just leave town and not tell them. They didn't think it was anything odd. When asked about the smell, because to me, I'm like, how yeah. are you living in this house for five days with a body rotting? in the shower they said they thought it was just garbage or dirty dishes because it's a bunch of jews that live in the house you know fair point i'm not gonna dispute no judgment it. they were both cleared too they had absolutely nothing to do with this. yeah i figured police then talked to mimi again she reiterates all the concerns i said earlier she was concerned at first that travis may have actually hurt himself because he wasn't responding her initial concern was maybe he had done something to himself but she didn't really feel that he was anywhere in that type of headspace okay she did mention again that travis had broken up um with his girlfriend lisa just a few months prior and knew he was still upset about that he broke up with his girlfriend in mid-february they were started to ask her and to be clear it's on the 911 call and every person that they talked to the roommates mimi the two friends she had called that were there the they all named Jody, mm -hmm. without even really being prompted. The police would say, "Hey, do you do you know anybody?" Jody. Jo yeah, <laughs> like they wouldn't even get it out. There wasn't even a hesitation from the jump. Police were already on this, like from arriving at the scene. So they asked Mimi if she knew Jody. She stated that she did know that it didn't work out with Lisa, the previous girlfriend. 
because Jody was always hanging around. And Travis had told Lisa that until he dealt with Jody, they'd have to just end the relationship. Oh. Which it's so, the whole thing is weird. She's such a disease. When they asked Mimi again what she knew about Jody, she said she had heard that she was kind of obsessive and that she had manipulated Travis's Facebook account. She also mentioned hearing that Jody would get into the house through the doggy door without being invited, which this is going to contradict Jody's statement that she had a standing invitation to his house. She described Jody as a stalker ex-girlfriend and said she was actually kind of worried about her because she was obsessive. She said she also heard that Jody had stolen some of Travis's personal journals and that had recently taken some pages out of a new book he was writing. She said she knew Travis spoke to Jody sometime last week. Travis had called Jody because he caught her hacking into one of his email or Facebook accounts and confronted her about it. They then talked to the other friends. They said the same thing. If anybody was going to harm Travis, look at Jody. They said that they lived together in the house for a while, had broke up not too long ago. They said since the breakup, Travis and his now ex-girlfriend had their tires slashed. That Jody had been, um, again, stealing his password information. They'd broke up and she'd moved back to California to be with her family. And as far as they know, that's where she still was living. I love that uh, their tires were slashed. Well, how would she know where the current girlfriends lived? Because she's stalking. As detectives are there waiting for the other detectives to arrive to assist with the investigation... One of their friends comes up to the detective and says, Jody literally just called me wanting to know what was going on. She then also had mentioned to the friend to tell the investigating officer she wants them to call her. Let's talk about some initial crime scene observations. This is from the police report. Was one of them Jody did this? (laughs) No. A closer and more careful look at the scene was needed to assess the situation. They had to first determine if a crime had been committed or if this had been like an unfortunate case of suicide. Detectives were told the victim was lying in the shower of the master bathroom. They approached that. The first injury they saw was a large cut on the neck from one side to the other. Although uncommon, they did say that they have had subjects committing suicide again in that manner. So they're walking in, no assumptions, which is what you're supposed to do. This could be a homicide. This could be a suicide. Let's look at all the facts before we decide. Exactly. The home appeared to be clean and in good order. There was definitely a strong odor coming again from the decomposing body. That was evident when you walked in. Downstairs appeared to be normal, nothing out of the ordinary, except for a stand-up cleaner. It was in the middle of the living room. I mean, the roommate said that was like, whatever. They went up the stairs, and the master bedroom had two double doors. They noticed that there was a black camera bag on the floor near a beanbag chair on the landing, and noted the camera bag was open and the camera was missing. This is how detectives, the eye they have, mm-hmm. I would, to me, I would not even probably have noticed that. I would have been looking at the beanbag chair. The frat boy and you will never die. Nope. They then went into the master bedroom and they again noticed that large red brownish stain on the carpet. The stain continued, like I said earlier, all the way down the long tiled highway and highway hallway into the master bathroom. He also noticed the bed and the room did not have any linens. And the pillows were sitting on a chair next to the bed. Hmm. Parallel to the bathroom hallway, there's a large walk-in closet. This will come into play later in version two of Jody's bullshit stories. In the bathroom, they saw the body. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. You I made the mistake of the looking I want to at the pic- Well, the prosecution during the death penalty trial showed a photo 
of the body. Do they, do they have to do that or can they choose no, to do that? No, he did it for a wow factor. And one of Travis's sisters actually ran out of the courtroom bawling. Uh, there were no signs of a weapon anywhere on or near the body. Again, the examination of the bathroom, large amounts of blood. There was blood spatter and cast off throughout the bathroom, which we know what cast off is. What is cast off? I told you this during the Kelly Cochran. When it like comes off the knife, the blood flies off the knife, right? Correct. And lands like on the wall and stuff like that. Yes, get your help, boo. Just that one, uh, it got painted over. So it was That's in- right. inconclusive. <laughs> I remember. At that point, they decided it was best to get a search uh, warrant to finish looking through the home. On the way out, they went down the stairs and past the washer and dryer in the laundry room. And he noticed what appeared to be a small reddish brown stain on the front of the washing machine. Made note of that to be able to check when they execute the search warrant. So so none of the roommates had done wash in the previous couple days? I guess not. It's a good point. The next morning on June 10th, the search warrant was executed. The body was finally removed. They couldn't move the body until Maricopa, Maricopa County medical examiner came on the scene. And that oh. couldn't be till the next morning. How horrible to know this individual, deceased or not, nobody does. Well, some people deserve, but he does not deserve to ha- just have his body sitting there just rotting. Ugh, it just makes me sad. For, for what was on what a total of five, six days. Yeah. One thing they did notice the next day when they were executing the search warrant, because now you can start to really look in more detail. Plus, at this point, the body had been removed. They saw a small caliber shell casing. They believed was a 22 or 32 caliber. It would later be discovered to be a Winchester 25 caliber. However, no gun was ever located in the home or found ever, period. Mm. During the search warrant, he had revisited a few things he had noted the day before. The first was the bedding. They searched the entire room and closet. No bedding was located. They went down to search the washer and dryer in the laundry room, and they found Travis's bedding was in the dryer. The red, uh, the reddish stain appearing to be blood on the washer was tested and found to be blood. That sample was taken for DNA testing. Mm-hmm. They also found a digital camera in the washing machine. Oh, boy. The camera appeared as though it had been run through a wash cycle with several articles of clothing in the machine. The camera had severe water damage, but the digital card was still intact. Again, yeah, yeah. do you especially think, if you, you claim think, to be a photographer, if do you, you think the water would wreck it, if you were a high school dropout because you want to be a photographer, and that's fine, follow your dreams. Absolutely no judgment. I would love to go back to school and become like a profiler or a forensic psychologist. I think it'd be fascinating. I would like to think though, if you spend that much time with cameras. You would think to take the fucking memory card. She's not a professional. Both the camera and the digital card were seized. For, for This is just one of many things that make absolutely no sense. Both the camera and digital card were seized for evidence so that they could be analyzed at a later time. Uh, the camera appeared to be the same type of camera that Travis's roommate had described that matched the bag that was upstairs. So they kind of drew the conclusion this is probably his camera they found his cell phone downstairs the last outgoing or ingoing call was made at 5 13 on the 5th of june there were other incoming calls and text messages on the phone but none were ever answered some of these would later be identified to have come from jody she butchered him and then drove off and called him leaving messages like hey you're not answering but if you could just give me a call back yeah never because i fucking killed you yeah i guess i won't hear from you bye They collected several items for evidence, 
Some of them included blood samples for DNA testing. There was a palm print, like a bloody palm print on the hallway in the bathroom. There were fingerprints. There was hair samples found in dried blood on the bathroom floor. Pretty good stuff to take back and do some DNA and forensic testing. While they're at the scene conducting the search warrant, Detective Flores gets a phone call directly. directly. Guess from who? Was it our main girl? I'm sorry. He received a message that Jody had called looking for him. Okay. Homegirl just can't wait. She called the no, night before, the friend's night can't. before. Now she's calling directly looking for him. She's like, super sleuth is on the case. I'll help. Detective Flores decides to break from the scene. He's like, I can't wait. I got to call this bitch. Like, I, I want to. I got to get the deep. He's like, everyone gather around. Let's get her on speakerphone. Let's do a three-way call. Hey, come can on, we call? Come on. Who else can we get in? A judge? I don't know. Come on. I'm going to just summarize the conversation, but there are very few cases I say this. If you have like four hours of your life and you can break it up into increments, the phone calls and the interrogation videos are unbelievable to listen to. They started the conversation and Jody states that she did know Travis and they had dated for a few months, five months to be exact. The detective asks what type of relationship they had then if they'd broken up. She says that they were having a sexual relationship, but we're still friends. So friends with benefits because that always works. Perfect. That never fails. She says that they were in no way headed toward marriage, which is interesting because the detective, she does this a lot. The detective just asks, hey, what was your relationship? She brings up marriage. We weren't headed to marriage. During the interrogations, there are multiple times that she'll bring up, well, we weren't headed to marriage when it really doesn't make any sense. I think that she's laying breadcrumbs for motive. I think that was part of it is that she knew that he was never going to marry her. And so she was like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Literally. I think that's what it was. Probably. It was if I can't have, have you, you. Nobody can. Exactly. But I'll call you later. See how you're doing. She states that she is currently living in Eureka, California with her grandparents. And the last time that she spoke to Travis was Tuesday the 4th. Last time she says she saw him was April. Last time they spoke was on June 4th between like 10 and 1130. She says they had plans to see each other in May, but the trip kept getting postponed. He was supposed to come see her last week, but didn't. You will find pathological liars do this. They don't ever answer your question. They just try to distract you and say things that aren't an answer. And they provide extensive detail because they think it's going to give them credibility. You'll, we'll see as we go through this. He would ask for, like, it'd be like me saying to you, what did you have for dinner last night? And you would say, well, I'm really more of a brunch person. So typically if I go to a restaurant and order brunch, then I get that. Like, so you don't answer the question, but you give information. So you think you're answering it. Mm, okay. She does this all the time. Let's see. She says that uh, she knew Travis had the Cancun trip scheduled and she'd emailed him to ask if she could stay at his home while he was gone. Yeah, the guys won't mind, will they? She says she found out about Travis's death from a mutual friend named Dan Freeman, who called her late last night to tell her what was going on. She does this thing called someone I was watching an analysis a body language expert. And they said she does this thing called empathy farming, which was really interesting to me. It's when you try to establish yourself as like a victim and you try to, to garnish empathy from people. You'll see she continuously is saying, I want to just offer any support I can. We were such good friends. I knew Travis so well. It's 
when you, it's like Munchausen syndrome, but like emotionally, <laughs> like, I don't know how else to describe it. She's trying to get empathy from people by playing up their relationship. Like she's the martyr. She's the widow. Why doesn't she help out by, I don't know, giving a confession? She then says that the minute she heard from Dan Freeman about his death, she pulled all of her phone records in case police would call her and ask. <laughs> You're already pulling your alibi isn't together. That, isn't that what they always do? They it's always, so like, odd to They me. always do something like out of the ordinary they would never do. This is what I'm saying. This is give... to prove my innocence. She then goes on to say that there was this book of 100 places to see before you die, that they were going to check off all these places, and now they don't get to do that. I mean, like, who gives a fuck? You're on chapter two. 100 places before you die. Well, guess what? Travis can't do those now because you murdered him. And you won't be able to get to do them either. Well, the only place she is is in prison. Correct. She also brings up the tires being slashed, saying that someone someone must have had it out for him. She's trying to like lay these little like you know bread and breadcrumbs. Maybe somebody had it out for Travis. Well, it was your knife. And she fucking did. Yes. The the devout Mormon, a little bit party boy and whatever. Every person, though, that spoke about Travis said, yeah, he partied. He had some moral conflict. He was into some kinky shit sexually. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you a bad person. No. Murder does. She says multiple times that she practically lived at Travis's house. So they multiple. may find her DNA there. <laughs> the multiple... He'll find it there, I swear. Especially by the doggy door, right? Now she's trying to lay the groundwork and basically mitigate if they find her DNA. This is why. The detective DNA will be there. Yeah. yeah. Check the doggy door. Her hair is probably stuck in there. Um, let's see. Again, she says she'd come to his house and stay. Um, and she has no sense of boundaries whatsoever. The detective then says to her that some people said their relationship was rocky. And she agrees. She says, yes, it was rocky. Her and Travis broke up because she thought Travis was cheating on her but they were still attracted to each other and hung out. Then she starts talking about his comforter and the pattern on the sheets. You just found out a dude that you were supposedly madly in love with still was butchered. And you're like, well, now the juvet, she's like, the juvet was like brown, but then it had like lighter brown diamonds. And the juvet, it took like, I know it was a duvet because it took two people because you know how hard it is to get that, get the the inside into a duvet like this is literally what she does okay tell me more about the duvet yeah that's what she says okay. i'm i'm ready to hear about i mean she's giving the like the detective on a platter that she's it let's just figure out how we get there um the detective says um that they did talk to certain people they didn't have the best things to say <laughs> about her <laughs> oh i'm sorry see that coming go back real quick another thing that the detective does to set a trap is says that we're going to investigate this as a homicide and they're trying to understand if it was an intruder if something had gone wrong she says again goes down this complete tangent of how travis was trying to lose weight and was taking supplements and bulk up for cancun so he was really strong it had to have been two people there's no way that one person could have overpowered him, especially a little female like her. The detective says that they did talk to certain people. And they didn't have really anything nice to say about her when <laughs> he was pretty direct. Sounds about right. They felt she was taking advantage of him and hanging around him when he when she wasn't wanted. He again brought up that they had been told she crawled in the doggy door. She says uh, he tells them that people said she was spying on his email on Facebook. She claims because she has an answer for everything. Well, yeah, of course I was. He gave me his Facebook and MySpace password. And the reason was because months ago, it was a way to try and reestablish trust between them. If you trust me, you'll give me your password. 
Apparently he got really upset and said that wasn't working and they changed their passwords back. This is her version again. We know this is yeah. not what happened because remember Mimi said like a week before she had called her and said that you hacked into my shit again. Also, you just find out that people, the detective said like people think you're a stalker and that you are not in a safe space. She completely ignores that and just like, oh yeah, the, the you, if I was talking to somebody and they were like, hey, your friends or people were talking shit about you and said that you were a stalker and stealing people's passwords and you were a lunatic and not welcome, I would have a reaction to that. I wouldn't, just, oh, well. Well, I'm just going to Travi was trying to earn my trust back, <laughs> but who cares if people think I'm nuts? They could tell when, he, when she kept on becoming his number one friend on MySpace. Yeah. He tells her to be honest because they have a warrant for his, his email and Facebook and they'll be able to look and see IP addresses where they were located when they Ooh, logged in. That is correct. She says then, oh, I forgot. I did access his email about a week ago. Earlier you had said just MySpace and Facebook, but now it was the email too. So not, it's all lies. She says lies. that they broke up because of Travis's jealousy. Oh, and yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's false. Jealous. Travis was the jealous one. Let's just regroup here real quick. He's slashing a girl's tire. You moved a mile from his home, give or take a mile. I don't know if it was exactly that, but whatever. After It was in Mesa. After yeah. you broke up. Same city. You hacked his accounts, broke into his house via the doggy door, slashed his and his ex-girlfriend tires. The friends all said that you were a stalker, but no, Jody, you are not the jealous one. It's mm -mm. all Travis. It's all Travis. I can see it now. The detective says then, help me understand why people are pointing the <laughs> finger at you. I love it when they say that. Help me understand because you, you're just ready to hear this wave of bullshit. She says, oh gosh, I don't know. Maybe because I'm the ex. I can tell you right now, if a detective called me and said you are being named as a potential murderer, I would have a more elevated response. And the last thing she does, and this really fucking fires me up, is points the cops in the direction of Travis's old roommate. What an asshole. <laughs> you know you did this, and now you're trying to name an ex-roommate, even if they did have beef. What, what happens if the cops, at this point, they can already, they're already on our trail, yeah, right? Yeah. But what happens if they were going to investigate that poor guy? She, she's like saying this, and they're like pretending to write it down on the notepad because yeah. it's just BS. It's like Daryl Brooks. Like the notepad is like upside down and backwards. <laughs> that was like the his Bible. Bible. <laughs> just taking notes. This isn't really important. I'm reading. This isn't really important. I just found it interesting. On uh, June 11th, the police received a tip through the Apache Junction Police Department. An anonymous female had called in stating that there, <laughs> it wasn't her. <laughs> The way you said that, I was an anonymous female. I was like, really? She's now giving tips? Oh I never thought about that. She's like, hello, this is Jody. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is not Jody. Like, she's just so bad. This is not Jody, and I got a tip. I, I got to go. <laughs> yes. Don't call back. Oh, God. Um, no, it was not her. They received an anonymous call from a woman who stated they needed to look at a person named Dustin Thompson as someone who might have something to do with uh, Travis Alexander's death. They were able to trace the phone number, you know, star 69. Mm -hmm. And uh, they identified who it was. It was this girl named Ashley. She had been friends with Travis. She called and said that they were just friends, but her husband, who she was in the middle of a divorce with, 
was jealous of their relationship. That didn't really go anywhere. The autopsy was completed on June 12th. This is rough. Dr. Horn found that Travis had multiple lacerations and punctures in one gunshot wound. This is one of the worst that I've, I've heard in a while. He had 11 punctures to his upper back between the shoulder blades. Just like imagine this as we go through this. 11 punctures to his upper back between his shoulder blades. Two large lacerations at the top and back of his head. One puncture to the back of his neck and ear. Four punctures and lacerations to the chest. And I understand this is graphic. I do think this is necessary to understand the heinous nature of this crime. Oh, absolutely. This is terrible. One laceration across the throat, which severed the right carotid artery and airway. Oh, God. I hope he was not alive at that point. Three lacerations to the belly, four incised lacerations to the left hand, which were defensive wounds, one to the right thumb, a defensive wound, one single gunshot wound to the right brow, um, that projectile was recovered in the left cheek. Ooh. It says the lacerations and puncture wounds were consistent with a single-edged weapon at least five inches in length. The lack of stippling or gunshot residue or soot around the gunshot wound indicated that the gunshot was taken no closer than two or three feet away. So the shooter was at least a few feet away because there was no gunshot residue. This is when they start building the case against Jody. And we have so much more to go through. I know I'm giving a lot of information, but I just, you can't not. Well, yeah, she sounds ridiculous. What we're going to do, this is going to, this is just for you, Mel. We're going to end here and you have to wait like a day for part two. We're about to get into the case they're building against him, her, her interrogation videos, the trial, the appeal, these ridiculous interviews that she gives from jail. You can't make this shit up, folks. Literally, there was I was watching a 2020 documentary about this. They said the best writer in Hollywood could Could not not script a movie. Wow. This fucking crazy. So get your popcorn ready. This fucking wild. Get your popcorn ready. As always, if you could be ever so kind as to leave a review or subscribe or email us, follow us on Instagram. All good options. We like, and you know what? The person that gave us a four out of five on Spotify and dropped us down to 4.9 instead of five, I'm not even mad at you. I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you. And send us a note. Now, if it's that guy from when we first started, Rob Big Dick Energy, who said yeah. I talk too slow, like today. I'm going to call Spotify and have them remove you. Yeah, <laughs> sounds kidding. right. I'm is just is there someone to call? No, we love the feedback and we just appreciate the interaction. Check out Instagram, Bad Human Pod, for the contest that we have going right now. Our Instagram page link is also in the show notes. Just want to again reiterate this is a terrible crime. What this man went through, no person that was a good human being like he appears to have been deserves it. And we are so sorry for his family. That As always, please treat yourself and each other with love, kindness, and respect. I am K-Mac. I am, of course, the answer. Good Good night. night.